You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlick. The title of the message today, and this wraps up our series, is called On Purpose. I would hope that most of us would have the desire innately inside of all of us that we would wanna leave the world better than how we found it. That something intrinsically in us, ingrained somewhere, would say, I want my life to actually carry an impact. That we would want the things that we do, that how we live, that it really would leave the world better. That something about the way we speak to people or how we interact with the world, that we would actually make a difference. And with that in mind, here's a very simple thought. This is something I've shared in the past. But in order to accomplish having an impact in our world, I realize there's really only one way to go about it, which is to live for what matters most and not just what matters now. Our world is obsessed with now. And there are a lot of things that can get our attention now. But in order to actually have an impact meaningful in the world that we live in, I realize the only possible way to leave it better is to shift the way we think and how we interact with the world and to live for what matters most. To bypass just the now. Now we live in the now, but what we live for matters more than just right now. And I've seen when people just live for the right now, how they live for things that don't last, that they live for things that are temporary, that they live for things that often don't satisfy or they satisfy for a very brief moment, but then that moment goes away. So my prayer is that we would all be on the same boat, even if you're not a Christian, and that you would be able to say, and by the way, if you're not a Christian and you're here, I am so glad you're in church. But I would pray that all of us, regardless would be in the same boat and have the desire to want to leave the world better. And I have discovered the only way to leave it better is to live for things that matter most. Now, I have the incredible, I'll say privilege, of having witnessed my family serve God, my parents. Now, my parents, both of them, really are kind of first-generation Christians. We come from a whole line of stuff. In fact, next week for Father's Day, I'm gonna share this stage with my own dad. I peeled him away every Sunday. He speaks at a Hispanic congregation in Columbia, uh, not South America, Columbia, South Carolina. That would be epic, by the way, if every weekend he flows, flies back and forth. But you know, Columbia, South Carolina, and I peeled him away from his church that he's at right now this morning, and he's gonna be with us. I'm just, the experience is, now, I've watched the, my parents, first-generation Christians, have their lives radically altered from the inside out. A couple of things about my dad. This probably won't come up next week, but if it does, this is a preview. My dad got saved radically, but my dad hates warm weather. He's from Cincinnati, Ohio. He loves, and, and my dad, just a just little background, I don't know if this coming up next week or not. My dad grew up as a hippie, and he totally fell into the music scene. He was in a band called West Foster, and you can actually still buy the album, which we, we anyway, it's awesome, West Foster. My dad was massively hooked on drugs. And he's like, I have no idea the songs we wrote because we were tripping on acid the whole time. And so I'm, this is my dad. My dad got radically saved by Christ. And, so, like, and he doesn't like the cold weather. He doesn't like the cold weather, or he doesn't like the warm weather, excuse me. He loves the cold weather, he's from Ohio. And so my dad gets radically saved for Christ. He finds himself at a church in Virginia Beach where he meets my mom and he falls instantly in love and finds out that she wants to be a missionary. So he's like, well, I guess I'm gonna be a missionary too. And he finds himself praying, God, I will serve you 
and go anywhere you want me to go, except I'm not gonna go to South America. I won't do it, it's hot. And so, I was born and raised in South America, and that's what happened. And so, it's just, anyway, and he made, the, he made this, I'm just not gonna do it, God. And so God's like, well, okay, we'll see about that. So anyway, finds himself now, I grew up in South America. Half my heart, I feel like, is a Latino heart. I just have a deep passion for Latino culture. It's just, I, anyway, big part of who I am. In some ways, I've been kind of divided my whole life. I love this great nation, and I love Latin America. And so, just the way I grew up. Having said that, after God radically transformed my dad, he still didn't like to be in warm weather. We found ourselves as a kid living in the Amazon jungle, which if you don't know, isn't just warm, it's the worst kind of warm, because it's warm and it's humid. Listen, dry heat you can handle all day long. Humid heat is a wet blanket. It's miserable. It would be, my dad said one time, he looked, it was 106 degrees in the shade, and then it rained. Stuff that we had got completely ruined and my dad would preach on a Sunday morning message and he'd have to change clothes like four times because of the amount of sweat. I mean, he literally despises it and yet God used him. The reason I bring all of this up is this. In 2019, my wife and I and our kids are living in Fountain Inn, South Carolina and we had a visitor. I'll show you a picture. This is a picture of my wife and I, our kids. This is a couple of years ago. And in this picture, there's the young lady. Her name is Corazon, which means heart. We call her Cori. Her name is Cody, and her husband's name is Jimmy, and they're Peruvian. And they happened to be in the States, and they were serving at a massive church called Southeast Christian. They were helping lead a Hispanic thing that they were doing over there. I mean, a massive church. And they were helping lead this incredible outreach through that church. And while they were at that church, they said, can we come over and visit you guys? We said, that would be awesome. And so she came over to visit with us and our family, and we're sitting down talking, and she said, I want you to know something. When I was a kid, your parents started a kid's Bible study in the Amazon jungle, and I started going to it, and I gave my life to Christ, and your dad baptized me. And then she said, your dad led my dad to Christ. And she said, and what you may not know is my dad was an alcoholic, and he had a couple of women, and when he gave his life to Christ, my dad transformed because of Jesus. And here she is with her husband now in 2019, all these years later, and I get a chance, you see, because you don't always see in the moment. In the moment, you don't always get the glimpse of what God can be doing. And I remember as a kid, my dad being like, it's so hot, it's so hot, it's so hot. He'd go to the kids, hey, Jesus loves you. It's so hot, it's so hot. Okay, that's for real. I'm being honest, right? You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. He loves you, and, and he does, he loves you, and he loved the people, but man, he hated the heat. And yet, he was willing to be there. And here, 2019, here Cody is, and here Jimmy is, and they're at our house, and she says, I was the first person in my family to go to college, and now my husband and I serve God with our life. Because someone was transformed by Jesus and they decided to not just live for right now. I'm telling you, the world is gonna convince you that what matters most is what happens right now. The surest way for you to make a, a, not an impact is to live for now. By the way, here's another, just, just, let's just talk openly for a second. You can't live 
for what matters most if you're a selfish person. All of us, and let, all of us are selfish, right? All of us think about ourselves first. And yet when we encounter Jesus, one of the things that Jesus does is he confronts us where we are. He loves us enough to say life is more than just about you. And he puts us on trajectories that transform and change. I want you to live for more than just right now. You know what? I want awakening of a different way of living, a different way of thinking, a different way of processing it. And so when we examine the Bible, we're seeing how God intended for us to actually live. By the way, the most content people that I've ever met in my life aren't the wealthiest, they're not the most famous, they don't have the most followers on Instagram. The most content people that I've ever met in my life are those who have lived it, not for themselves and for others. Pastor Dean and I this last week got a chance to sit down with a couple who are missionaries in Chicago. Literally missionaries in Chicago. And that's which... For real, missionaries to Chicago. And they started telling us stories and they started telling us about the impact that God is doing and how he's working. And do you know what? There was such a level of fulfillment and contentment with them that you, I mean, no influencer can compare. It was a peace that passes understanding. My point is, I'm challenging you. Stop living, actual translation, it's an actual paraphrase. And just little nerdy stuff, I got a chance to visit the headquarters of the, of the uh, Nav Press, these are the people who actually uh, make the Message Bible. How the message came about, just for you to know, there's a pastor who could read in Hebrew and write in Hebrew, and he could read in Greek, and the Old Testament's Hebrew, the New Testament's Greek, and so what he did was, is he would open his Bible up in the original language, and to the people, he would actually translate it live. That's how the message came about. Now, it's not an actual translation, so I would say this is a paraphrase. You'd probably wanna use more of an actual translation when you're doing your personal study, but I love the message because sometimes I just, it's good to look at, and it's, anyway, it's really cool. So here's the message version of the moment in which someone asked Jesus what the most important commandments are. Now, if this is Jesus and he's telling us what the most important thing is for us to actually do, this is a big deal. Jesus said, this is Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your passion, prayer, and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there's a second set alongside it. Love others as you love yourself. The, oh man, okay, sorry, stop you. Okay, I, my goal is to end on time today in Jesus' name. Okay, all right. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. I love this. The way that we live for what matters most is to take Jesus seriously with his word, to love God and to love others. And as Christians, none of us are exempt from this. If you have believed in Jesus and trusted in Jesus, we now should all be in the same place where we should love God and love others. Let me give you a thought this, this matters a lot, ready? I have discovered that, that passion usually follows purpose. That you and I, we speak boldly about the things that we believe deeply, like your sports teams, or the hobby that you found. A buddy of mine in the church, he's a mountain biker, and whenever you ask him a question about mountain biking, he will tell you everything that you didn't know about mountain biking, because he believes in mountain biking deeply which is great. Anytime you meet someone who, 
who believe something deeply into the core of who they are, they're always gonna be speak boldly about it. They're gonna be passionate about it because they're excited. My point is this, is that I want us to all understand that our purpose, now our roles in life might be different and we carry several different hats. You might be spouse, you might be father, you might be mother, you might be employee, you might have certain kinds of jobs. All of those are roles that we carry. Our ultimate purpose for every one of us in this room is that we would love God and that we would love people. It all centers around relationship and when you know why you're here, the why is to love God and to love people. When you know why you're here, then what should follow Follow that why is a passion. Christianity is not a set of rules about how to make people be nice little people. Christianity is about encountering a God who is transformative from the inside out, who then puts us on a path to live and become more like him. So as followers of Christ, our greatest purpose is to love God and to love people. And when we actually begin to go down this path, I'm telling you, we become deeply passionate about what God begins to do and how he begins to work. So, Love God and love people. I have two, just two very simple points. The first one is about loving God and I wanna kinda go on a tangent. So this is actually a planned tangent though, okay. Loving God, this, this matters. God didn't create us because he was lonely. God created us because he is love. This matters. My prayer in last week's message was all about how I think that the reason why we don't actually understand that God is love is because we're so busy. Do, 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 somehow we miss a God who is waiting for us. And so we, we can't seem to sit long enough to understand how much God actually wants us to just sit with him so that we might understand how deeply God loves us. So I wanna explain this because in my mind when I grew up in the church, I was like, well, God created us because he was lonely. And there's, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something, God was not lonely. In fact, the Trinity, he's the triune God, there's three in one. And this side of heaven, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that because it's so incredibly complex. But you have God the Father, you have God the Son, you have God the Holy Spirit, they are all God, and yet there's three persons. And you know what they all do? They all look at each other and be like, you're awesome, no, you're awesome, no, you're awesome. God the Father says, oh, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, he's awesome. The son says the Holy Spirit's gonna become his advocate, he's awesome. The Holy Spirit says, no, you can't be saved without Jesus, he's awesome. And they're all going like this. And before anything ever existed, God contained everything of himself. And if God could be lonely, that also would mean that God is not sufficient in who he is. He is not lonely. So why in the world did God create us? Not because he was bored or because he was lonely, he created us because he is love. This matters because I think sometimes we miss how much God loves us and our loving God really is a response to how much he loves us. So let me explain, let me just, again, a tangent to me that I'm just gonna go down. And this is actually a planned tangent, which is good, so it's planned. Let me show you a picture of my, our last son. His name is Ellis and he's getting ready to be five in August. <laughs> he is a complete stinker, I'll be honest with you. He's ridiculous. And so he, let me tell you, so, so, he is our baby. We can't actually have more kids now if we wanted to. Now we, um, and so physically we can't. And the Lord closed that door for us to have more. And so when he was born, we knew he would be our last. And watching him grow up, it's been a privilege. But we had in our home, and this is gonna get very, very open and honest with you guys. Our oldest was nine years older than him when he was born. And so we had a girl, we had a boy, and somewhere in there, my wife and I felt like God wanted us to have another kid. That somewhere in there that our family wasn't to the place where God wanted it to be just yet. 
And so we were gonna have another one. But we, we, we tried, we actually, we got pregnant, we lost the child, and that was a whole thing. And I know there's people in this room who've experienced that before. And so, but we just said, okay, God, in your time, in your way, it's gonna happen. And, but there's a nine-year age gap between our oldest and our youngest. And when we had our two kids, we felt like, hey, we're supposed to have another one, and we weren't sure what it would look like, what it would be like. And so we were just like, okay, Lord, in your timing. But we always felt like there was another one coming. And then all of a sudden, God opened the door. We get pregnant. We get expecting. And this little stinker's born. He almost dies. We go through a whole thing. I've told, shared a lot of stories with you guys about this. And he is so vibrant and full of life. I've told you this before. The weirdest thing is when he was born, he was born August 8th in 2018. So 8, 8, 18. And he was born at 8, 18 in the morning. The nurse was like, I don't want to weird you out, but... There's a lot of eights in this kid's life right now. So, and he's just, he's just been, he's so spunky and he's so full of life. He loves strawberries. That's like, I mean, he would just, we, we went strawberry picking this year and his best life was walking around shoving the biggest ones like this. All of us are putting them in buckets because we want to move on with our life and get the straw buckets filled. He's just there going <laughs> like this. So, what's happening in this picture, and this was taken yesterday, was that we go to the farmer's market and I'm like, they have a strawberry cake? Now, another thing, my, he doesn't like chocolate. I'm like, well, whose kid are you? Like, what's happening here? Anyway, he doesn't like chocolate. So I'm like, what desserts with this kind of like? So there's a strawberry cake and I'm like, dude, I got you a strawberry cake. He took the smallest bite I've ever seen and that's his verdict of the stinking strawberry cake. I'm like, you spoiled little stinker. Now, <laughs> The reason I bring all of this up is this. My wife and I sit and talk and we can't imagine our family without him. We remember our family before him. We cannot imagine our family without him. Like he just, such a dynamic. My sister, by the way, if you're in a family and you can't have kids physically, my, my mom after I was born, this is just a family history, I'm just being open with you guys. I was born in Bolivia in 1980, which the medicine and stuff like that, and at my birth, the doctors messed my mom up so bad that my mom physically couldn't have kids anymore. But my mom always longed for having a girl. And so when I was 11, my mom was able to adopt in the country of Chile a beautiful little girl. She made our family complete. I'll tell you this, she, she, our family wouldn't be the same without her either. So God can provide a way for you to be able to have this. But here, here's, we sit and we say, our family would be, like, it's almost like, where would we be without him? The Bible says, and it's the most beautiful language. It's not that God was lonely. God just knew you before you ever walked this earth. And you know what God says? I can't imagine life without you. I can't imagine what life would be like without knowing you, without you being wired the way that you are, with your weird, awkward laugh sometimes. I laughed awkwardly one time, this is like recently, and I, got, I embarrassed myself. I don't get embarrassed, by the way. I laughed awkwardly, like uncontrollably, and I embarrassed myself. Your weird, awkward laugh, the way that, the way that sometimes in, in, in tense situations you cut a joke when you're not supposed to, that's 100% me, doing this and not knowing you. And so what does God do? Because he's love, not because he's lonely, he knows you and he says, I want with every fiber of my being to know you and walk with you. Can anything compare to this? 
So then he creates us. And then in our own ignorance and selfishness, we sin and we go our own way. And yet when we do that, what does God do? He makes a promise, I'm gonna bring you back home. And it's gonna cost him a lot, but you know what he does? He brings us back home so that anybody, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's a separate nerdy thing, ready? God didn't create, listen, Jesus is God's begotten son, not his created son, because Jesus is God. That's a whole, okay, sorry, I shouldn't have gone on that tangent. Okay, he created us. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall know that they are so deeply loved and a part of his family. This is God. And how does God work with us? It's always in the midst of relationship. God has two major things that he always does for a lot of us in our life. He works in grace. None of us can earn it. It's undeserved. All of us are sinners, and yet while still being sinners, God works. But do you know God doesn't just work in grace? He works also in truth. And this is the big point. God's truth is actually meant to confront us and where we go wrong, to free us from the lies that we've come to believe about ourselves. So God loves us and he works with us. His grace, that is more than we could possibly ever imagine, and his truth, that's transformative, that seeks to work in our life. And when we love God with all of our, as it says in the message, passion and intelligence, really what we're doing is we're just responding to God's love for us. Okay, God. Thank you for what you've done in my life. So loving God. At John chapter 13, to to me, one of the most beautiful passages, beautiful moments of Jesus. Now, in John chapter 13, and I'm gonna be reading from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, one that I've actually been doing my my devotions through and with. Um, I, anyway, let's just read. I think this is an unbelievably beautiful passage of scripture. So here we are. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What an unbelievable picture and image of what Jesus is doing. He to visit where many people believe the Moses Exodus story took place, where people believe that Moses encountered God on the holy mountain and to see in the different miracle places in which God began to work. And so we had a chance to go and it was an incredible trip, trip of a lifetime. And it's believed that where the actual Red Sea crossing took place, is at a place called the Gulf of Aqaba, where you have Egypt on one side and Saudi Arabia on the other side. Let me show you a map to kind of explain this. And I'm sorry that the, it's not the greatest um, in terms of quality, but I wanted you to capture this in your mind. Now, you've heard the stories. You might have even seen the movies. Prince of Egypt or Charlton Heston as Moses. And the, Okay, that's way too old school. Sorry, okay. However you you've read the stories, you've gone to Sunday school, you know the story of Moses in the Red Sea. You've, you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They cross on a sea. Now the Bible talks about this, how the Israelites are being led by God and he leads them onto this beach and it's surrounded by, it's literally surrounded by mountains and there's only one road in and they get trapped on a beachhead and there's nowhere to go. And Pharaoh chases them and they're literally pinned in. So here they are, 
And this is where it's believed that the Red Sea crossing actually took place. On the left-hand side, you have Egypt. On the right, you have Saudi Arabia. You can see a beach on the, on, that's the Nueva Beach right there. And I didn't have a chance to go to the Egyptian side, but I was on the Saudi Arabian side. And the word for mountain in Arabic is Jebel. And the word for valley is, oh man, I should have written this down. Okay, Wadi. So you have Jebels and then you have Wadis. Wadis are valleys. And it does rain there, even though it's a desert area. And when it rains, it washes things out like this. When I had a chance to actually witness this site, first, it paints exactly the way the biblical image does on that. But let me show you a picture of the Saudi Arabian side looking over. This is actually not exactly where we believe it was in Saudi Arabia, but it's a little bit further down. But this, I, it was just a beautiful day. I was able to snap this picture. Now, in the Red Sea crossing of where it believed it was happened, both sides contain these wadis or valleys. And this is something that you may not ever think about, something that may never cross your mind. But because each side evenly has these wadis, that means that dirt for a long period of time has been descending into, the, into, into that area like this, on a slope, and when the waters began to recede, because dirt had been going in there, it created a natural slope, the same as an incline today, when there's people who, who need a wheelchair ramp, it's the same incline as a wheelchair ramp that we have today. So when the waters recede, and the people are on the Egyptian side, and they need a cross, they don't have to go off a ravine or a cliff, you know what they have? They have a gentle slope down and a gentle slope up. And exactly at that spot, by the way, it's deep on one side, it's deep on the other, but right where they walked across, it's actually a lot more shallow. Isn't that nerdy? So of all the places that God led them to, he led them to a place in which it would naturally slope up because you had, you had older women, you had carts, you had animals, you had children. You didn't have a bunch of special ops guys doing this thing. You had people who were people. And so God leads them into an impossible situation and he leads them in the most gentle slope possible and then when they get chased after, the waters come back. And then Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Oom, mm, sha, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a really, by the way, funny song about a bunch of, anyway, a bunch of <laughs> Egyptians dying. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah! Anyway. <laughs> that God who literally led so that they could walk on dry ground, what an unbelievable miracle that was, but in a way that you and I would never think about with a slope that's perfect that God who created you in your mother's womb, that God who put the sun exactly in the perfect distance from the earth, that if the sun was closer, we would melt, if it was further, we would freeze, the God who literally knows every moment of your life before you were born, that God who holds it all in your hands, what is he doing? He is sitting with his followers and when he finds out that God gave him every authority and power, what does he do? He gets up and he gets a basin and he gets a cloth and he gets on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. That God, the God who said, peace be still and the waters were calmed. That God who healed leprosy and the lame and the blind, who spoke life. That God who cried out, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came out of the, that God gets on his knees, and what does he do? He washes feet. Feet can be nasty. 
He washes feet. Because Jesus doesn't do things that matter just now. He he does things that matter most. What more value can there be in a God taking his creation and telling them he loves them by just simply washing their feet? I'm curious. Has anyone washed somebody's foot as part of a church thing? Anybody? Yeah, more people than I thought. Okay. Have you ever had your foot washed? How awkward is that? Literally, how my one of the, the one of the first mission trips I ever led in my life. I was a young man serving in a church. We went down to House of Hope, and I thought, how cool would it be if we could wash the feet of these women who are getting out of prostitution? It sounded powerful. And then we got down there, we got the basins, we started washing their feet, and it was the ladies were like, This is the most awkward thing that's ever happened. But through that, we were able to tell them, This is how God loves you. And we're sitting there cleaning the feet out. We're like, God. This is how much God loves you. And then, but I don't want you to miss this. After he does this foot washing stuff with the disciples, I want us to go back, look at verse 12, ready? And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place. He said to them, but, okay. Uh, You know, okay, sorry, okay. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example so that you should, if you do them. Guess what? You now know these things. Blessed are you if you do them. Now, this next part is about loving people. And my challenge to you is you don't go out and just wash a bunch of random people's feet. That's weird. That's not the application in this story. The application, though, is this. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Church is not a Sunday morning service. You are the body of Christ. And at the end of this, I'm gonna send you out into the world to love people. In fact, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna challenge you to ask God to give you an opportunity to love someone in your path, I'm not talking about the person behind you at Starbucks and you bought their mocha frappiato with eight pumps of caramel. Do that, that's wonderful. I'm talking about something specific. I challenge you, I'm dead serious. Today, God, put someone on my path, put someone on my path that I can show love to. Love, by the way, no strings attached. Just, I love you. Now, let me give you a couple ways that we can love people real fast. These are super quick. Ready? You can serve one another. Jesus served, his, Jesus served his disciples. You can show hospitality to one another. Some of you have the most unbelievable gift of hospitality, that you have this ability that when someone walks in the room, you just make them feel at home and at ease. We have a, ma- a bunch of families in this room who have this gift. It's absolutely beautiful. You can just be kind to one another. You can encourage one another. There's enough brokenness and hate and, and divisiveness. Do you know what would be good? Go to someone and just tell them how much they mean to you. Just encourage somebody. You know what? I pray that God would move you so much and actually that the spirit of God would work in you that you would have, a, you would have to speak something into their mind and heart that they needed to hear. Jesus said, I'm giving you an example of what you are to do. We are the church. 
Imagine if we all leave and we commit to loving others. Let me, let me give you the last one. And there's many more ways to do it. I'm just giving you some examples. You can carry one another's burdens. In January, when I had a buddy of mine. He lives in Charlotte. And a good friend of mine. And Sunday afternoon, he calls me. And him and I joke around a lot. We love to joke around. And I start joking around before I even hear his voice. And I'm like just saying ridiculous stuff. And immediately he doesn't joke back. And I'm like, oh, something happened. And within two seconds of hearing him, I realize he's upset. Well, his father had just passed away unexpectedly. And his mother died several years previous to this. And I said, no, I'm coming to your house. So I, well, I talked to my wife first. I said, let me get permission and then I'll go. And so I got permission. And in the car that afternoon, I go up. His dad had just passed and he had just got new carpet in his house. He's lived in this house for years and years and years and he just got new carpet. And they had just finished the whole process so he's having to put the stuff back and he was feeling unbelievably overwhelmed and, and because when you, move, when you put the carpet in, all the stuff, you have to pack it up, shift it, put the carpet down, then you have to put everything back. And he had bought a desk for his new office at the home and so here I am on a Sunday night. His dad had just died. He has all this stuff everywhere. And you know what I did on a Sunday night after preaching on that Sunday morning? I started helping him put his stuff out in his house again. And then I said, let's go assemble the desk. And I went upstairs. Now, I probably shouldn't have been the person assembling it, but I was the one there. So I don't know if it was a gift or a curse for him, but anyway, I was there. And I unwrapped all the boxes. And while we are assembling, while, while I was assembling the desk, he is just talking to me and I'm hearing him, and I'm helping him carry his burden. Christianity, Jesus, moves in us so that when we are at a place, you know why we're called to forgive others? Because God forgave us. Do you know how we love others? Because God loved us. That's how we love others. So I challenge you, and I'm gonna pray over you just now. And when I do, I'm telling you, you don't know what it means just to carry someone's burden. You don't know what it means to serve. It's gonna make an unbelievable impact in someone's life. I have witnessed it with my own eyes, how the things that my parents have done now has impacted generations and families. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, when they asked you what the most important commandment was, you made the declaration that the greatest commandment is to love you and to love people. That all of our life is summed up in relationship, relationship with you and others. And I know in this room, I know in this room there are people with all kinds of giftings, with all kinds of abilities and talents May we, your church, live unselfish lives so that we might position ourselves as your church to just love others, to serve without asking for something back, to speak encouragement 
Lord, to lift others up, to carry each other's burdens. May we, your church, do that. And I pray right now, I commission our church, first service in Simpsonville on this Sunday morning, that when they leave this place, they would not leave just having attended church. They would leave armed and ready to be the church. May you send them out, Lord, from this place, asking, Lord, please bring someone in my life who I can specifically love. I challenge and pray, God, that you would open these doors, that some of the people in here would find themselves in situations that they wouldn't have found themselves otherwise. And I, I pray and ask you, God, that they would take this to heart to be your church. And then they would be obedient in that moment to say, okay, God, how can I love this person? And may we see you work and move as we live for what matters most and not what matters now. We thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen and amen. Church, we love you. Have a great Sunday. God bless. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.